Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have told us that you are the vine and we are the branches, so we pray that you would help us to remain in you. Keep us connected uh, so that we may bear much fruit to your glory. Uh, we pray this in your most holy name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, I need a little help in figuring out where we left off. Mark it to start verse 9. Verse 9. We so we got through in chapter or in 15. verse 8. Okay. Um, okay. And something we probably should do. Yeah, because. Because of what comes next, we need to review where we've been in chapter 15, uh, just a little bit. Uh, remember, I am the true vine. Jesus turns a metaphor kind of on its head. And uh, instead of, I'm a lot like a vine because I nourish the people with me, he's saying, I'm the true vine, I'm the original vine. All other vines are like me. Uh, and so only he can switch a metaphor around like that. Uh, two things connected to the vine. Uh, one is pruning, uh, cutting off every unfruitful vine, pruning the fruitful vine so that they become even more fruitful. And then the second thing connected to the vine is uh, about the connection. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, and I, I have it in my notes, I don't remember what I said about it last time, uh, that that whole idea, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. How well does that sit with you? How well does that sit with our, our broken human nature? Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. It doesn't sit right. No, it, it makes us feel helpless or makes us feel like whatever we do is nothing. And really, that's the truth. Whatever we do on our own is nothing. Uh, but without me, you can do nothing. Uh, and so that's where we've been so far in chapter 15. Uh, and a theme, John, keeps having these repeated themes, these repeated ideas. Uh, much earlier we had uh, uh, we had uh, if you love me you will obey my commands. And uh, verse 8 has kind of a repeat of that my father is glorified in this 
that you continue to bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And this is the, the main reason why I wanted to go back. Uh, is I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And that's where we pick it up in verse 9. Uh, As the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Remain in my love. Here he's teaching the same thing without the metaphor of vine and branches. Uh, Remain in my love. If you hold on to my commandments, you will hold on to my love, just as I have held on to my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy would continue to be in you and that your joy would be complete. That phrase about the joy being complete or having joy to the full, uh, that's uh, a phrase that repeats in John's Gospel and also in John's letters. What's the definition of love? This may be a tough one. What's the definition of the word love? I have a catechism student when I'm trying to get the kids to think. He always reaches for the dictionaries. Don't reach for the dictionary. I want to know what you know. What's the definition of the word love? And the reason I have to ask that is because the world around us has a complete different, completely different definition of the word love. I mean, there's different kinds of love. Okay. Um, we can... I mean, your own family, you have this close love to. We should okay. always okay, those that God loves. But we can, I can also, well, I love the Zondags as Christian friends or, you know, but that's, a, mm-hmm. you know, everyone here that I know okay. or whatever. But that's kind of a, it's yeah. as a friendship and, you know, a bonding okay. and, and your own family, your spouse, and your children, and your parents. Mm-hmm. It's a, there's a closeness there. I don't know. Yeah. Cherishing, cherishing someone more than yourself. Okay. Total belief. Excuse me? Total belief. Total belief is love. Okay. And an individual that you Okay, that you, you believe in the person you love, you trust the person you love. Okay. All right. The, the agape love. Okay. And what, what? That's the love that Christ had. Okay. Big and so for us. Okay. It's giving love. Uh, and agape as a, a kind of a love is very, very close to the word grace, 
as undeserved love. Uh, the world around us has a different idea of love. You see a TV commercial for a breakfast cereal. And this girl is sitting with this bowl full of bits. And she just says, oh, I just love honey bunches of oats. <laughs> How is the word love used there? I just love honey bunches of fiber. What do you mean when you say you love cereal? You're saying, I like this because of the way it benefits me. Right? Isn't that what I love honey bunches and fiber means? Taste buds. Yeah, I, I, I like this because of the way this benefits me. I like this because of the way it makes me feel. Okay. And that now if you apply that to your love for people, that really gets empty, doesn't it? I love you for the way you benefit me, and if you no longer benefit me, guess what happens? Think of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that love never fails. Uh, it endures everything. It perseveres in everything. Um, so Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I also loved you. It means you give your all for a person. That's the biblical idea of love. Uh, if you hold on to my commands, you will remain in my love. Uh, it's love is biblically love is more of an action than it is an attitude. Sometimes we talk about it as an attitude or I like this very much because of the way it benefits me. Um, and then verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you these things so my joy would continue to be in you and that your joy would be complete. Do you remember, was that last time, I give you peace not as the world gives? We have that last time? I teach all of this twice, and one group is ahead of the other, and so I don't remember what I've told to which group anymore. Uh, uh, I do not give as Peace as the world gives peace, Jesus says. Look at verse 11. I told you these things that my joy would be continue to be in you and that your joy would be complete. A thought that I had was our joy in the things of this world is never complete. There's always something lacking. And it's simply because it is joy in the things of this world. And the things of this world uh, 
June's favorite verse of the old hymn, Change and Decay, and all around I see. And we quoted that many times. Uh, not all changes decay, but because of sin, that's what we see in the world. We find our joy in the things in the world. Things change. Uh, or sometimes our attitudes change. That joy is never complete. Uh, our joy in our Savior, when we stick with the scriptural message of the gospel alone, we have to say, what more could we want in the Savior? What more could we want in our God? Our joy is complete. Now, going back to that definition of love, uh, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you continue to do the things I instruct you. There you have that Thing of obedience to commands connected with love. Uh, you are my friends if you continue to do the things I instruct you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will endure, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. These things I am instructing you so that you love one another. So remember that biblical difference or that agape difference in love. That love is a giving action. It means you give yourself. Uh, think of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. All of those are actions. Uh, all of those are giving actions, really. And then Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. And in verse 13... What's he thinking about in verse 13? This is Maundy Thursday night, so Jesus is thinking about Good Friday, Good Friday laying down his life for them. Um, earlier there was very, very similar language when Jesus was talking about washing feet, wasn't there? And now this is much, much more than washing feet. Uh, you are my friends if you continue to do the things I instruct you. Love connected, our love connected to obedience. Uh, our, our obedience shows our love. Uh, verse 15. Um, I had a thought on verse 15 where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but a 
Because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. Uh, Christianity is not a mystery religion. Anybody know what a mystery religion is? Or have you ever heard of such a thing? If I mention some, you, you might, you might, the light may go on. Uh, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, to some extent, have taken Christianity and made it into a mystery religion. And that uh, if you want to know the secrets and the deepest truths, you have to work your way in and work your way up. Uh, Scientology. Ever hear of Scientology? And L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Tom Cruise. Uh, and that that's a mystery religion. You work your way up and then you ascend to different levels of knowledge and different levels of enlightenment. Uh, there are some mystery elements in, in Hinduism, but then that varies with whatever teacher there happens, it happens to be. Uh, you want to know the secrets of Christianity? Here you go. Uh, I hide nothing from you. Here it all is. Uh, there's nothing more than what's in here. Uh, the Gnostics, remember the Gnostics? We talked about that in chapter one. Uh, the Gnostics were very much a mystery religion. And depending on what Gnostic religion it was, you work your way in, you work your way up, and you attain different levels of knowledge. Here Jesus says right away, uh, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, and I've told you everything. Uh, verse 16. This, verse 16 is something that I think Martin Luther might have borrowed something for the third article of the Creed uh, from verse 16. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Uh, and very often, it seems some of the disciples may not have been following Jesus for quite the right reason. Uh, but Jesus chose them anyway and taught them 
so that eventually it would be the right reason. Uh, and then Jesus goes back to, it's a little bit back to the, the theme of obedience connected with love. I have chose you and appointed you to do what? Back to grapes again. To bear fruit. Jesus is looking for us to respond in some way, uh, to show our faith in some way, uh, to bear fruit. And that fruit that will last. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that can be, I think, of the most lasting fruit is... Well, what I talked about the last couple of weeks, some very dear teachers I had, and that in a way, they are still teaching through some of their students. And that fruit is lasting. Or we think of Some of the people uh, in the history of the church who did tons of teaching. You think of somebody like Martin Luther, did tons of teaching, and that bears fruit, and fruit that will last. Or during all the lockdowns, I got reacquainted with, with my friend Bach. And I was, I was finding things that I didn't know before. Uh, the Malaysian Bach Festival. Chinese people are singing about Jesus in Malaysia. St. John Passion, the St. Matthew Passion, the B minor Mass, cantatas. Oh, somehow but by pursuing excellence in music and doing things to the glory of God alone, people want to sing his music and they have to sing the word of God to do it. That's pretty cool. Uh, bear fruit, fruit that will last. Uh, I think we remember our teachers. We remember certain pastors. Uh, we remember our parents telling us a Bible story. Uh, I remember my mother reading me a book, Simeon's Secret, one of the arch books from Concordia, little kids' books with rhymes. And I remember Simeon's Secret. And it was about Simeon getting up every morning thinking, is it today? And getting up the next morning, is it today? And then he sees Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus. Oh, it's today. And just 
remembering a Bible story your parents taught you. Well, that's fruit that lasts. Uh, all of these things, fruit that endures. So then we go from the pleasant to the unpleasant. That, that previous paragraph, that was about as warm as you can get, wasn't it? Love one another as I have loved you. And now verse 18. Bang! If the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. Wow. What a turnaround. Uh, something that I, I've been looking ahead into John chapter 16 just preparing to stay ahead and that uh, all of this really goes back to John chapter 14 remember the first verse um, do not let your hearts be troubled because bigger troubles are coming. And now Jesus is saying, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. Bigger troubles are coming. But we're still under John chapter 14. Still, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, for that reason the world hates you. Remember the saying I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. If they held on to my word, they will hold on to yours as well. But they will do all of these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. One who hates me also hates, my, hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. This is to fulfill the word written in their law. They hated me for no reason. Um, uh, how is that word world used here? This is a little different from the universal term, God so loved the world leaves nobody out. This is more the world of sinful human beings. Yeah, the, the, the world of sinful human beings uh, or as I often say, think of the old Adam, our sinful flesh multiplied times six or seven billion. That's the world. The world is a source of temptation. Remember the Lord's Prayer? the devil, the world, and our flesh. Uh, and so this is, the world is a source of temptation, 
the world as it is without God. Uh, so the world hates you, it hated me first. Uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Uh, when I'm teaching, lead us not into temptation in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the devil's temptations generally uh, are the temptations to doubt God's Word. And he will do all kinds of things to get us to doubt God's Word, either to, to get us to think that it's insignificant, uh, that's the simplest way. Uh, the devil sometimes cooks up all kinds of crazy things for us to believe that aren't in the Bible at all. But these other things distract us from the main message. That's how the devil tempts. Uh, our sinful flesh is always looking inward. Uh, what's in it for me? Uh, very much like the world's definition of the word love. I like this because of the way it benefits me. The world's temptations are more go with the flow. You want to be one of the cool people, don't you? It would be absolutely terrible if you weren't cool. So go with the flow. That's the chief temptation of the world. And then the, its manifestations are many. Uh, what the world tries to get us to laugh at. Uh, how the, what the world tries to get us to find our joy and our satisfaction in. Uh, but the chief temptation of the world is go with the flow. And so Jesus says, uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Going with the flow. I always think of society as a like a wandering Jew. It doesn't know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Jesus says, "Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen out you out of it. For this very reason, the world hates you." This right here. I'm going to highlight it. I have chosen you out of the world. This is really the definition of the word church. Uh, a group that is called out. Uh, I think I've talked about this before. Uh, oh, down at, uh, now it's Chapel of the Archangels. It used to be St. Michael's? St. Michael's. Okay. And on the lintel piece above the door, it has something like this. Uh, and the ECCL, that stand, that's the Greek and the Latin word for church, and which is... Well, I'll spell it the Greek way. Ecclesia. 
uh, I think the Spanish word for church is iglesia, which comes from ecclesia. But the Latins spelled it with C's, Greeks spell it with a K. Uh, remember we talked about the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the one who is called to be at your side, the comforter, the counselor. Okay. Well, this is the same root word. Uh, this comes from the word to call. And then ek, just like ex in Latin, or exit, called out. Uh, one group called out of another. Christ church called out of the world. Uh, that's um, really the definition of the word church, where ecclesia comes from. Uh, Ecclesiastes means a person who addresses a group that's been called out. Uh, or ecclesiastical, something related to the church. Uh, but anyway, where Jesus, Jesus here says, you're not of the world because I've called you out of it. Isn't there a phrase that Christians sometimes use that we are in the world, but not of the world? Not of the world. Yeah. Sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves, how much am I of the world? How much am I amused by the things that the world is amused by? Uh, how much am I going with the flow? Uh, how, oh, this is related to your kingdom come in the Lord's Prayer. Is the kingdom of the world in my heart or the kingdom of Christ in my heart? Who rules there? What's my definition of love? How can I give myself to my neighbor and to my God? Or I really like these things because of the way they benefit me. follow the call of the world. Jesus says, I've called you out of the world, and for that reason the world hates you. Uh, I don't think you have to look too far to see this in action today. Worldwide, what is the most persecuted faith? Christianity? Yeah. Is it? yeah. Um, and uh, I think I've grossed people out in sermons uh, when I've talked about martyrdom, uh, talked about uh, Kim Jong un running over Christians with steamrollers. Used to be something called blowing somebody from a gun. Tie somebody to the front of a cannon and, and fill it with gunpowder and 
shoot it off and then it completely vaporizes the body. Uh, that Kim Jong-un has been doing, had been doing that. Uh, in China, you know the two stories about the, the Chinese Bible. Uh, Chinese Christians are encouraged to, encouraged or ordered uh, to use this Bible rewritten by the Chinese government to be more Chinese and to uh, carry more Ch uh, communist ideals. Uh, and then the other story that I quoted was about the, the Pope negotiating with uh, the Chinese government to maintain a Catholic presence, uh, but it's kind of uncertain what kind of presence that's going to be. Are they just going to be party spokespeople? Uh, for years, the Chinese government has been tearing down churches and taking down steeples and taking down crosses because that's somebody else's iconography somebody else's symbolism. Got to keep the government first. Uh, in Arab countries, Christianity is, is heavily persecuted. Uh, and then what about our country? If you believe that biblical stuff, you're stupid. You're backward. You're behind the times. world hates you because you're not going with the flow. Uh, something, and we're going to see this when we get into, uh, in the next chapter or two, when we're talking about Pontius Pilate. Something the world, the world's way is, along with going with the flow, is what's most convenient The high priest said it would be, be most convenient for one person to die than for the whole nation to perish. Uh, so what's most convenient? And we Christians believe things that are not convenient for the rest of the world. When we say the rest of the world is all wrong in its view of life, uh, the world around us is wrong in its view of humanity and what we truly are. We're not just highly evolved animals. We are special creatures of God, entrusted with his world to take care of it. Ooh, what kind of messages does the world teach that go against that? Oh, Christian, uh, human, humanity is a plague on the earth and we should get off of it so that the, the world can thrive. Uh, that's the extreme environmentalism. Uh, so we're not going with the flow. Uh, but Jesus gives the disciples the comfort. They hold to my word, they will hold on to yours as well. Uh, then Jesus finishes out the chapter 
going back to talk about the paraclete, the, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the helper. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also are going to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, this tells us about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work as the one called to be at our side. Uh, that even though Jesus had ascended, the disciples as they went out would not be truly alone. Uh, the Holy Spirit would be there to counsel, to comfort, to guide, testify and to testify through them. So that's chapter 15. Any questions or observations on chapter 15? Okay, then we got 15 minutes to get started on chapter 16. And here as we begin chapter 16, I'd say remember chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled because bigger troubles are coming. Uh, in chapter 16, Jesus starts out by saying, I've told you these things so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who murders you will think he's offering a service to God. Does that remember, remind you of something from the book of Acts? or of a certain apostle in his younger years. Stephen. Yeah, the stoning of Stephen, and who's, who's, who's running the coat check over in the corner? The apostle Paul. Paul, and he was very zealous as a Pharisee to try to stamp out Christianity because he thought he was doing God a favor. Question. If the sacking of or destruction of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Were there any apostles in Jerusalem at the time? That we don't know. Uh, the, the book of Acts, I would have to double check, but it, it, the book of Acts seems to stop Oh, must be like right around the year 55. And so after that, complete silence. Um, and then Paul's letters. Uh, but as far as the, the, the apostles and their deaths, only one is recorded in the book of Acts. And that would be James, the brother of John, whom 
Herod killed with the sword. So, you know, were any of the other apostles in Jerusalem when it was destroyed? Uh, we don't know. The, the stories and traditions from the early church, I don't think any of them placed any of them there. Uh, it, the ones that I can think of right now, they were all martyred for proclaiming the gospel. So I would think probably not in connection with Jerusalem. It must have had a toll of Christianity in Jerusalem, though. Yeah, and that was something Jesus did talk about in Matthew 24 and 25. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place. Some people have thought that's talking about the Roman army and their emblems. Uh, when the, then, uh, if you're on the top of your house, don't go down. Uh, whatever you're doing, just drop it, flee to the mountains. Uh, and there's, in that section too, here we're getting away from John and into Matthew, but that's okay. Uh, there's a lot of overlap because the disciples asked a, a double question. When will these things happen, the destruction of Jerusalem, and what will be the sign of your coming into the world? And so Jesus answers them both, and they're kind of interleaved so that is this end of the world or is this the end of Jerusalem? It's a little of both. Uh, and so anyway, to the question, no, we don't, we don't know about any of the disciples that died in Jerusalem in the year 70, and, and probably none of them were there. They, they obeyed Jesus and went out into all the world. Uh, verse 3 says, They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. That reminds me of John chapter 3 after verse 16 and 17. Uh, Jesus says the reason that people do, the people love darkness is their deeds are evil. Uh, they take that broken human nature and they run with it. People do these things, persecute Jesus and his followers, because they have not known the Father or me. And uh, this is one of those things, uh, well, Paul, when he was the persecutor, Saul, did he think he loved the Father? Yeah. Yeah. He was... And he even describes himself, uh, I was very zealous for God and for the words of the prophets and the traditions of the elders, but he rejected the one that God had sent. Uh, if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. 
Here Jesus says the same thing. Uh, verse 4, I've told you these things so that when their time comes, you may remember I told them to you. I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. Uh, verse 4, remember the one of the recurring themes is the, the sometimes cluelessness of the disciples. But then they get it later. Jesus tells them something, they don't understand it. Later they're going to understand it. And that Jesus is kind of going with that again. I've told you these things now, so that when they happen, you may, be, may remember. And then, remember, we're still repeating, we've still got some echoes of John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And I am going to prepare a place, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, uh, and then the disciples are, just, are confused. Where are you going? How can we know the way to where you're going? And here Jesus repeats this again. Now I am going away. And not one of you asks, where are you going? Because I have told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is good for you that I go away. If I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. A couple things going on here. When Jesus was walking the earth and when he was teaching, where were his disciples? Right around him. And after his resurrection, where were his disciples? Right around him. And what did he want them to do? Go out. So he ascended. And then didn't leave them alone, but gave them the Holy Spirit. If he'd remain, the disciples would want to be right around him. So, uh, it's good for you that I go away. So then you'll go out. Uh, then, uh, I got a historical note about the end of verse 7. If I go... I will send him to you. Uh, there is a controversy that goes back to the 6th century, which is the 500s. Uh, you all know about the Council of Nicaea? And what did you say? The Nicene, Nicene Creed. Creed. Yeah, and that there were controversies about the nature of Christ and about the Trinity. So the Council of Nicaea came together, and the product of that is the Nicene Creed. Uh, in the 500s, 
would be the Latin church, the Roman church, added one phrase, which we use in the Nicene Creed, uh, uh, and that's in the third article. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And that phrase, and the Son, was added in the 500s. And what does this phrase right here tell you? Can we say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son? Yeah. Jesus says, I will, I will send him to Before Jesus talked about sending the Holy Spirit, who I will send you from the Father, or whom the Father will send you. And for that reason, <coughs> for that reason, the Greek church, the Eastern church, they call themselves the Orthodox church, um, they high, highly objected to proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, and then in about the 1100s, uh, that phrase, and the Son, that became cemented in the worship life of the Western Church. And then that 1100, that's the great schism. That's the great division between the, the Latin Church, the Roman Church, and then the Eastern Church, the Greek, Greek Christianity, uh, over that phrase, the Father and the Son. Uh, but we, we can say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. This is connected somewhat to, remember I talked about the order of the Trinity, and that the, the Son is begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son because they're eternal and beyond time. That's something completely beyond our understanding. Uh, but there is some kind of an order of the Trinity uh, that's still there. But we see the Holy Spirit does proceed from the Father and the Son. So that controversy is called, this is, this is Latin, it's called the filioque controversy. And in some denominations in their hymnals, when you see the, the Nicene Creed, sometimes to, uh, to try to be ecumenical or to try to be uh, conciliatory to the Christians with a Greek background, they put and the son in brackets. But we don't have to put it in brackets, because here it is, right here. Jesus says, I will send it. So, uh, so, uh, so how did the Holy Spirit affect the Old Testament then? Well, the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament. He's always been. He's always been, uh, think of King David, take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Psalm 105, Psalm 106. You send your spirit and they are created. You renew the face of the earth. Uh, Genesis 1. The Spirit of God moves over the face of the waters. In some of his psalms, King David says, uh, The Spirit of the Lord was upon me, and the Spirit moved my tongue. And so the Holy Spirit was inspiring the scriptures and creating faith then. Uh, with the disciples, it's a very direct thing. This is, well, it's inspiration. Uh, it's, it's close guidance. Uh, and then with us, he calls us by the gospel and enlightens us with his gifts. Uh, so uh, it's not like the Holy Spirit has been absent uh, while Jesus was doing his work on earth. Uh, the Holy Spirit did sort of take a step back especially with the disciples, uh, so that with the disciples he could kind of keep them in the dark a little bit so that he could continue to teach them. Uh, and then after Pentecost, the light went on. Uh, they weren't shy anymore. The Holy Spirit gave them boldness. All right, we'll pick it up at verse 8 then. And before you go, remind me to give you the handout about John 15 that has the, the Luther quote about vines and vine dressers. Let us Lord Jesus, we pray that we may remain in you and remain in your love. You have called us out of the world. Help us to remain in you, even with the world going in so many different directions. Help us to remain in you, to remain in your love, to continue to reflect your love to the world around us to show that we're your disciples. Help us remain in your love for our own sake too. That we stay close to you, closely rooted as branches to the vine, drawing our love and our life from you. 